offline, we're having many trials and tribulations relating to my microphone, as usual. But we made it here today. And what is today? I don't know. I think time is a construct. Uh, sometime time in December. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> uh, much like the movie we're discussing, we're in the desert Okay, in this December. is one thing... This is one thing about this movie. So there's a lot of like interior shots of like you see a real estate office. You see like the hardware store. Nobody had Christmas decorations up. At like at some point in this movie it was like December 19th and no Christmas decorations were up anywhere. Okay, so listen, I've got a fun fact. Do you have a this. you have a BTS I fact? Have a oh, we're B- talking BTS. <laughs> We're talking about Psycho from 1960. We're doing another Hitchcock. Um, it's not our first. It's not our last. It will be the same subpar quality as the last one we did. That you've come to expect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they. we were talking about this because, listen, Marion lives in Phoenix. I live in Phoenix. While you're watching it, you're like, is this Phoenix? I was like, no, it probably isn't. And we were like, both well, then right. there's also like a very gurgly, muddy swamp. Like, what is the ecosystem? Okay, well, that's that part. Like, Bates Motel is like over the border of California, I guess. Got it. Which is basically, as someone who has many, many times driven over the border between Arizona and California on the way to LA or San Francisco or San Diego. Um, there are no swamps. I don't know where these swamps are. It's a lot of flat lands. It was a very swampy swamp, like the bayou. Like, I didn't understand that at all. No marshes. There are, like, mountainous regions where it, like, snows and there are, like, ski resorts and stuff, but no marsh. I don't know. I was like, are we in Hatchet? (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Flashbacks. But, so most of it was, like, You can't say uh uh-oh when we're recording, because... Something could it be triggered going wrong you. At any you? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, so they did film. So Hitchcock wanted like the fly at the end to be like tied to the beginning. So he wanted to do like an overhead shot of like a big like helicopter production coming into the window into the hotel room, like from a fly's point of view. But that like proved too expensive because he like this had like a pretty small budget. It was only like eight hundred thousand dollars. So they, like, scrapped that, but the scene of the hotel was, and the building was in Phoenix, and it had Christmas decorations It looked up. like Phoenix. It was the Jefferson Hotel, which has since been renovated, but it's, like, like near Central Ave, which is, like, downtown Phoenix. Um, so that building isn't, has been re- renovated, but, like, it's a part of Phoenix. So that is where the December mm-hmm. 11th came from, because there were, de- like, visible decorations on that building from the opening shot. That's, so he I was like, I guess it's that. December. <laughs> I don't know. But I would never have noticed that. And never. it was weirder that there were absolutely no decorations in any other part of the movie. But I, I mean, it's like part of his like, probably like neurodivergency to be like extra keyed into every single detail of his films. So. True. You know what I found out when I was reading about this movie that like sort of fierce attention to detail and like exactly like, probably <laughs> neurodivergence uh like they actually use psycho and other hitchcock movies to like study people's brain waves because of the way that like he it's like if you're watching just like a rom-com your brain uses different parts than mm-hmm. if you're watching a hitchcock movie because 
like the close shots, the framing, all of the different ways that he like creates suspense actually causes reactions in your brain that are like studyable and can like indicate your brain functionality so they use it a lot in medical studies which is kind of nuts which makes sense because i was also reading other bts facts and uh the so the shower scene you know like i mean it's kind of well known that you like never see the knife stab the body it doesn't it's just like quick cuts but in the 47 second shot there are 52 cuts like, so you're, like, yes. back and forth, but, like, that's part of it. It's, like, you're, like, Your brain is rumbling working hard. around. Yeah. So, makes sense. And I, you so, know, Hitchcock's got problems, but I did really like this movie, and I had a good time. I love this movie. I had a great – this is the first time I've ever watched it. Me, too. Obviously, like, I knew everything that was going to happen, but mm-hmm. I was, like, just thinking in the back of my mind, like – Imagine it being 1960 and no one has ever made a movie like this before. <laughs> right. You have no idea what's going to happen. Like, the reveal is crazy. I was like, the end in the fruit cellar. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, I had the biggest smile on my face because it's like just so good. Um, and she like flings also, the light back and it like, it's, yeah, yeah it's like, great. And when he appears in his mother suit, I'm like, what? His face. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love his weird. And we both have he's a little crush on Anthony, Anthony Perkins because he's a little cute. Anthony pie. Perkins, unproblematic king, R.A.P., definitely gone before his time. He passed away of AIDS in 1992, I think. He was only mm. 60. Oh, my God. Um, but he was, like, a huge, like, civil rights advocate. He... Um, marched in Selma. He was like a big supporter of LGBTQ. Actually, I think there's a new acronym. Tell me about it. But I don't remember what it is. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll look it up for next time. Um, but yeah, cool guy. And also, I mean, there's a lot of like, we'll talk about this later in the movie, but there's this kind of like dichotomy of what like femininity and masculinity look like. And I think it's used to unfortunately make norman bates seem extremely like creepy and um it's used to make him othered like because his mannerisms are like kind of feminine and passive and you see like the pi and also sam be like super aggro with him and get in his face mm-hmm. um but those are like just his mannerisms that he used like the slouching he always had his hands in his pockets and he cultivated this sort of like boyish image it was like he never really became like a man you know Mm -hmm. according to 1960s hollywood openly gay which or openly queer Mm -hmm. no one knows for sure um but he had like very visible relationships with other men in the 60s and i just like i'm kind of obsessed with him um yeah i didn't know anything about anthony perkins but watching this i was like he's so good at everything i'm in love with him but hear this sorry Anthony Perkins, his dad died when he was, like, five. Mm -hmm. And his relationship with his mother was not unlike Norman's relationship with Norma. Yeah, you, like, slightly, you gave me a little hint in the text. So they were, like, extremely codependent. He was, like, so abnormally close to his mother, became extremely jealous when, um, like, she didn't have enough time for him to the point where when his dad passed, like, he was, his dad was a stage actor. So he would go on a lot of 
like trips and be away a lot, like performing in plays. And that's when um, Anthony became like extremely close to his mother. And he said when his dad would come around, he would wish that he would die and go away so he could have his mother to himself. And then his dad did pass away and he always like carried this guilt as if it was his fault that his dad died. Oh my God. Um, Because like he just wanted to have his mother to himself. And then his mother was also queer and she also, she had like, um, I don't think it was ever like she ever came out, but she had like relationships with women. Uh, So he was always surrounded by like a ton of feminine energy. He was like very close to his mother And then she began sexually abusing him when he was a young kid and, like, all the way through his adulthood. (sighs) So there are just, like, I think there are probably people have written, you know, essays on this. But he plays Norman Bates, like, to such perfection because it's, like, literally, like, a parallel version of himself. What a weird role for him to even, like... I wonder how much he knew Consider, about the yeah. role before he took it and how much, like, he told Hitchcock. And, like, he obviously brought a lot of that to the role. But, like, I wonder how much everyone else knew at the time. I think that it was – he just – Hitchcock offered it to him, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he had anyone else. In he mind. saw him in his – yeah, I think he saw him in his, like, other mo- – <laughs> what is the name of this movie? Okay, so I have, like, so many fun facts. I, like, love this man. But, um, yeah, he saw him in another movie. Like, I think not his most famous one, which is called, well, his most famous movie that he's appeared in is Psycho. But he also was in this movie called Friendly Persuasion, Mm. which is, like, it's a Civil War drama. And I think that's where Hitchcock saw him. Fun fact... You'll never believe whose favorite movie Friendly Persuasion is. Who? Think of like the antithesis of everything that I've said about Anthony Perkins so far. I don't I don't know. Is it like d- d- Ronald Reagan? Oh my god. <laughs> Isn't that so weird? Ew. <laughs> we have to cleanse the room after you say that name. Like he is risen. Yeah. Yeah, he'll say it. Wow. Whoa. So he was a Perkins fan, too. He was a perk jerk, just like us, yeah. Perk jerk. Thank you. I, yeah, like. Okay, so. Okay, tell me more. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, tell me. I was just going to say, I don't know, like, for well, how famous this movie is. I was also going to say, I don't know anything about friendly persuasion, but I mentioned to you that, um, Perkins's son. So Perkins eventually did marry uh, a woman who was like a, she was a little bit younger. And I think she was also like running in the same circles. They had a couple of kids. One of them, Elvis, is a musician. And the other one, Oz, good, or Oz, is a director. And he made that movie, I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. Have you mm. seen it? No, I haven't seen it's it. It's like literally the most boringest horror movie I've ever seen. It's slow. It does nothing. I've heard about it, yeah. <laughs> but he hired um, this woman to be like the older lady in the movie he hired this lady i think it's paula prentice who had co-starred with um anthony perkins and catch 22 which is also like i remember that movie i should watch it again uh but in the background like it's about a nurse that goes to like stay with this older lady to care for her and in the background of one of their scenes they're actually watching friendly persuasion on the tv it's like nod to his dad it just seems like 
We talk about a lot of dirt bags on this podcast. Oh, yeah. And it feels like Anthony Perkins had, like, a net good impact on the world around him. Like, people remember him fondly. He's an unproblematic king. <laughs> like, he uh, had, yeah. he touched a lot of people's lives, you know. And I think, like, I mean, I, you know, I like to talk about female actors of, like, carrying their films. But, like, this is one of the times where he made it, sold me a hundred percent like every time he was on scene i was paying attention and like i did yeah, love like janet lee's scenes but the second I half mean, she dies pretty fast yeah the second half of the movie was the like, second half is riveting yeah yeah but i don't i don't find lila and sam as yeah as like interesting to watch as norman so good on him no i think it. that um like the con, I think the context of them being like out of towners coming into this space is very cool because you're picking up like these little bits of information as someone who hasn't like had deeply ingrained history. But so I think in that way it like makes sense that they're kind of blank slates, like just nothing characters. Mm-hmm. But every scene where Norman wasn't on screen, I was like boring. <laughs> Bring him back. Um... Yeah, it was, like, kind of, like, 1960s goofy, some of it, like, where he's, like, captured at the end. And I love that he's eating candy <laughs> I know, corn. I was like, that was easy. Right? <laughs> candy corn with two Ks. <laughs> um, yeah, it was all, like, fun and a good time. But uh, I guess we should probably get into it. It's my turn. Let's. It is your turn. <sighs> okay. So we're talking about Hitch- or Hitchcock's, I don't know, most famous magnum opus of Probably, a movie yeah like the sound cue known around the world it's all strange screenplay by this uh score is there yeah. are no no brass no brass to be no brass no percussion all strings not in my house <laughs> the witch is like um so <laughs> screenplay by joseph stefano who also did a bunch of episodes of outer limits which is very cool and based on the novel by robert bloch Black, I guess that he claims that Ed Gein didn't inspire him, but the timeline is suspicious. <laughs> um, unfortunately, a guy with like a, a homicidal maniac with mommy issues gave us a lot of like really good horror movies, but um, Gein is it's hard to get away from Gein for sure. Yeah, his like I think story this is, is like really responsible for this is like Ed Gein if he grew up blue collar you know if he was like a cutie pie yeah um and like texas chainsaws like ed gein if he grew up even more like working class (laughs) right it's like the one goes this one goes up one goes down um i forgot what i was gonna say oh i guess in the novel which i've never read um which i maybe never will i don't know i was thinking maybe i'll take a look at it but sometimes it's hard to read old novels as we found but, um, yeah, I guess he's really Again, different. I do not recommend that anyone tries to read Frankenstein. Please um, <laughs> heed our warning. <laughs> but I wonder, yeah, I'm, like, assuming that um, Perkins brought a lot to the character and the role. And, like, I don't know. Yeah. I wonder how much he worked with um, the writing and character development. So, um, all right. So. The openings, I forget how long openings in old movies are. I'm like, get I it loved together. It, it was no, fun, I was, but I was like, I was loving I it. I need to get to the juice. Um, so we open on this cityscape of Phoenix. Hello? Anybody Stunning out there? Um, Friday, December 11th, 
2.43 p.m. I, it's so specific, and we didn't need that at all. Like, do I care what I time it is? I didn't something. Afternoon. Yeah, I was like, should I pay attention to this? I wrote it down. I wrote it case. down. It never came back. Um, we zoom into a window that's open just a crack. Inside the hotel room, Marion Crane, played by Janet Lee, and her lover, Sam Loomis, uh, kiss in their undies and discuss. Can I just say, <laughs> I thought they were having, like, some crazy affair, and he was like... A you know high level one of them was married. He was cheating on his wife, but they just like are dating, and he owns a hardware store, which I thought was kind of adorable. I like it. Just makes me so sad how little agency women had. Like she can't she was like, like come. Like why can't we do this? Go it's to like, your boyfriend's I apartment. Own a hardware store. Bro, like, yeah. I don't. I don't. Right. Um, like, and she, I mean, I guess she lives with her sister, but like you're you're dating a guy. It's not like anybody's doing anything wrong you know (laughs) yeah you're not like stealing children and like i don't know shooting heroin into your eyeballs you're like just (laughs) dating i don't like having (laughs) like consensual like missionary position sex with a man yeah (laughs) um but they're having premarital sex so you know so true um and they're in there don't forget your dental dam Marion. <laughs> They're in their negligees, which are like so uncomfortable. Like, oh God, I don't even like wearing no. like a bra that has no wire in it, like let alone all these fucking contraptions they had to go through. I know. Like, what is in that bra? Ooh. Why is it like that? It's um so she's <laughs> Uh, she has to go back to work, and she's disappointed that she has to meet him in CD hotels. He promises to come down next week for a respectable dinner with her sister and her. Uh, Sam laments his alimony pay- payments and lack of funds. He's poor. Um, the hardware store looked perfectly fine. fine. I think they could have a nice life in Fruitvale. Um, Is Mary, that what it was called? I don't remember. Fairdale? I didn't write that down. I wrote down the time (laughs) at the beginning of the movie, but I didn't write down where they were in California. Um, Okay, so at one point when I was writing down fruit cellar in my notes, I'm not shitting you, I spelled fruit F-R-U, or sorry, F-R-O-O-T. Fruit loop cellar. (laughs) Um, They even make a gay joke. Like Norma makes a gay joke uh, about the fruit cellar, which I was like, oh, God, I can't even get away oh, in 1960. Yeah. Norma, come on. God. Um, Don't say that to Anthony Perkins, you bitch. <laughs> For real. Um, Marion wants to marry him, but he's like, I'm poor. And then she goes back to work and luckily is back before her shitty boss. While she was out, her coworker tells her her sister called and says that she's going to be doing some buying in Tucson and will be away the whole weekend. Uh, her boss arrives back, and he and the oil lease man. That's how they referred to him, and I was like, the I oil lease man. I a predatory cowboy. <laughs> Which is also true. Um, he's buying the Harris Street property um, and is discussing his daughter's upcoming marriage. He's buying the property as a present for her. It's 40000 and he's got $40,000 in cash, which is roughly... 400 grand. 400K. In, yeah, adjusted for inflation. I ran and didn't walk to look that information up. Wow. <laughs> Would I do this? Um, <laughs> so he's openly disgusting with Marion <clears throat> and is generally very slimy. Um, her boss, Mr. Lowry, lures him into his air-conditioned office because the secretaries in the front don't get air conditioning, but he gets air conditioning. Fucking piece of shit. It's Phoenix. 
It's it was sixty five degrees die. today, and it's December. Um, yeah, it's one hundred and twenty in the in the summers. It's too hot. Um, they he's got secret booze in his desk, and Lowry tells Marion to take the cash to the bank, um, and they'll get it a check on Monday because he doesn't like having the cash in the office. Um, I feel like you don't have a safe. Right? You never get there any were no cash safes deposits. In 1960. Um, <laughs> of course. Of course. They had to set up the... There's like... While I was reading about the movie, there's like film terms that we never really talk about. Like Chekhov's gun. But they're like called... That's not what we're here for. <laughs> right. But they call this a MacGuffin. Which I like knew the term, but I hadn't <laughs> thought about it for a while. Which yeah. is like the plot device that moves the plot forward. And it was fun. I was like, I might sprinkle that in now why do i want a muffin now mcguffin muffin (laughs) what moves your plot forward a mcguffin muffin (laughs) i I feel attacked by a predatory cowboy um he's got a muffin it's just fun to say muffin i think it's just like a fun one to say yeah um you know 30 rock yeah like muffin top my muffin top is all that low grade low grade no fat I mean, I've, I've had never two beers. Said, I was like, so. "What's wrong with a muffin top? Like, you can squeeze it; it's delicious." <laughs> haters, haters, get out of here! Um, it's You're like, making me feel a little buzz just from like it's it's the champagne. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the adrenaline from changing my mic from one USB port right? to another, You're like <laughs> coming into your relax. I'm drinking like the champagne of beers, which are like I don't know, four point five percent. I'm like. You know what? High life out of a can? I don't want it. I only want it out of a bottle. But I can't. My apartment doesn't recycle, but I we take the cans to get recycled. Oh, you redeem them. So. Um, remember when we went to anchovies and I asked for high life and they gave me a draft high life? I which was like, I had truly never seen. And then I drank most of it. <laughs> I was like, I don't want this. Yeah. Oh my god, like, that what I like man. Anchovies gave me such anxiety. Um, that I was, was like, a hard can night. I help yeah. you? Do you need help? Where's your other bartender? Um, that was a hard day for that man. <laughs> for all of us involved. Um, okay, so uh, Marion tells her coworker she has to go home because uh, she's got a little headache. Um, but she doesn't go home. She doesn't go to the bank, and she doesn't. She goes straight home because she's keeping the money. She packs the suitcase and contemplates. Um, she drives, and her inner monologue thinks of her boy. What her boyfriend will say. While stopped at a light, her boss sees her as he's crossing the street, which is like, in what direction are you headed, Marion? Like. Why she could be going to the pharmacy? Like I don't know why that was such a big thing. And then um, I was watching like, you know, Psycho's influence on other films, and like how Tarantino literally has no like original ideas. Thoughts. Yeah, no original ideas. <laughs> yeah. Everything is stolen from someone else, including this like famous scene from Pulp Fiction where they see each other at the red light. It's like so. <sighs> yeah, yeah, but um. So she panics. She's got a panic attack. Her eyes are very wide. Um, Just be normal. She, She's so... She can be like... like <laughs> the minute she decides to steal the money, she starts acting like an alien. <laughs> with, like, we'll get into it in one second. But, like, her with the cop, I'm like, just, just take a breath. Like, yeah, you're being... Like, you're fine. Very suspicious. 
Um, she's driving at night and she's getting a little bit sleepy, so she pulls over to nap. In the morning, a cook cop. Which is like a normal thing to do, and they tell you to do that. Yeah, <laughs> like you're supposed to. A cop comes and checks on her, but she knows her rights, and she's got a jam. He asks her for her license anyway, and takes a little glance at her plate. She pulls into a used car lot immediately. Like, gets Such on the highway, gets planning. right back off. Also, she was, like, fine with the cop for the most part, and then she just, like, kind of, like, overshot the, like, goal and started acting crazy. And I was like, like, no, you can just be like, is this a crime or can I go? And then just and, like, go. like, leave it at that. <laughs> and just keep driving. Like You don't have to be like, I'm in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can, yeah, just say you're going to see your boyfriend, which is literally what you're doing. It's like the truth. Everybody... Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, and the oh, cop I can't was... afford a motel. Like, who cares? Yeah. And I, like, hate all cops. But this cop was like, you really have to, like, why are you following her? Leave her alone. Like, don't you have... Like, she acted a little a insane. Donut to eat? Yeah, but, like, there's no other... I don't think she was that suspicious. I right? mean, she started acting like an actual lunatic in the car dealership. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So then she pulls into this used car lot, buys a new paper. New... I thought she was just going to buy the newspaper and, like, pretend and like stay there for a long time so that he like would leave but no leave she (laughs) She sees a cop suspicious direction (laughs) she sees the cop pull up across the street um does absolutely no haggling with the salesman is like i just gotta fucking go i'm gonna give you any amount of money for a car and i'm gonna fucking leave she sees the cop there she keeps obviously looking at the cop while the car salesman is like watching her it's just so funny i was like i would do this crime so much better um so in the bathroom she goes to the bathroom in the bathroom she takes out the cash and keeps suspiciously looking over her her shoulder at the cop um and then she just straight up like starts to peel out of the lot and then the the salesman's like um miss your shits in your car (laughs) (laughs) um and then she like then she peels out um, she again her internal monologue we hear she's thinking of what people will say about her discussing her odd behavior her disappearance in the morning um, if my internal monologue at that moment would have been like you're such a stupid bitch <laughs> right what like what the fuck are you fucking thinking <laughs> just turn back around no one like, that's exactly what I would be doing um, she seems worried at first but thinking of the confusion of the oil leaser and her boss, she starts to smile, which is like, if you just brought this confidence to your interaction with the cop, you wouldn't be in this situation. But yeah, hey, I did like the kind of subtle thing there in that inner monologue where the oil guy was like, she was even flirting with me. It's like so obviously not true. Right. <laughs> it and was like a little bit of a shot at him, which I appreciated, even though Hitchcock is a misogynist. He is. But I do like like Marion as a character. I think she's like she makes she's some poor choices. Silly. But she's fun. She's just a goofy, silly girl. She's a good girl. <laughs> um, it starts raining and she for some reason can't see it all. Like she's like never <laughs> <laughs> in the rain. Literally everything Marion does is like that TikTok trend where it's like just in a silly, goofy mood. <laughs> For real. She's like, it's, I can't see no other cars. Like, I'm going to into She's like, I don't, it. like, I could put, like, you know, three quarters of the money in the bank and just take a little bit and they maybe wouldn't notice right away. But instead, I'll, like, just be so suspicious Manic. at every turn. <laughs> Panic. Yeah. 
Um, so because she can't see what it's like sprinkling outside, she pulls into the base motel. It's like slightly (laughs) Um, no one's at the front desk, uh, but she sees a woman in silhouette in the house across the, like the house, main house on the lot. I just like, I'm sorry to interrupt. By the time she's checked into her room, there is no longer any rain and she is 15 miles from her destination. She's like, actually, I changed my life. Like, like I'm so she close didn't even to pay him. Yeah, like pull what I what she probably would have done. Like we of course have to suspend her disbelief, but she would have pulled over to a payphone, called Sam, panicking, and then he would have been like, "Just drive, or I'll come meet you because you're 15 miles away. Right. I'll a walk cool there. Half hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, so she honks the horn and a young man comes running, um, out of the house. He's got full vacancy since they moved the highway. Things have been very slow. He checks in into room number one. Um, he's twitchy, but adorable and asks if she wants to have dinner with him. She hesitates, but agrees. And he leaves happily saying he'll get her when it's ready. Call Sam, drive to the diner. Meet him at the dock. Like, why? Why did she call Sam? That's what ten like, miles. You d- there was no phone tracing in 1960. Like, call him on the phone. I don't understand. Watergate Nothing. hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, like there wasn't even Watergate. Okay. <laughs> okay. No one was tapping your phone, Marion. Call your boyfriend. It's just so incredibly wild. Yeah. <laughs> so she hides her money in the newspaper and overhears an argument. Dumbest between- place to hide it. It was fine in the envelope. What are you doing? <laughs> like, no one is looking for this money yet. Like, you. No it, one's looking through your luggage either. They're going to be more weirded out by, like, a very fat newspaper on your like, bedside table. I'll place this right here perfectly at a 45 so degree specifically. angle. <laughs> um, so she hears Norman and his mother having a loud argument. She thinks it's disgusting to invite a strange woman into her house. Norman brings the tray down to Marion instead and suggests they eat in the office's parlor uh, that's behind, like, the main, like, his little office area. Um, and it's full of taxidermy. Okay. That is, Excuse that me. was not a sandwich. That was single pieces of completely bare, naked No butter. Bread. I was like, looking for butter. There was none. There was nothing on those pieces of bread. I... I've never seen anything that looked less like a sandwich. Get some pate or something. Like, I don't... Yeah, I was it wasn't even offended. like finger sandwiches. Nothing. There was no sandwich. It was one piece of bread. It was um, bread. <laughs> uh, so he tells her all about his taxidermy passion and his loneliness while they eat. Um, a boy's best friend is his mother. A very famous line he says here. He asks her why she's running away and says... Um, they're all in private traps and can never budge. He was born is into his, but he's content now. Sometimes he dreams of getting away, but mother is ill and ha- and he has to take care of her all by himself since his father died. Um, Another red flag, leave. This, just weird. this whole conversation weird. is bad. It's very strange. And I, again, you came all the way from Phoenix Yet you're not going to drive that additional 15 miles to just, like, check in with Sam. You're just going to go back to Phoenix. I would have, like, this is where I would be like, oh, actually, my boyfriend was expecting me. Let me make a phone call to him. Pretend to make a phone call and then leave immediately. Like, pack up my shit, get back in my car. I Like, take the $10 as a loss. Like, you have 40 grand to get out. 
this man is going to murder you. Yes. Um, so he says um, his mother met a man who convinced her to buy the motel, um, but then he died as well. Marion suggests suggests that he put her his mother someplace, like a retirement home, but he gets very upset. Um, he says, we all go a little mad sometimes, another famous line. She tells him she's going to bed because she has a long drive back to Phoenix. She's going to get herself out of the trap that she set. He promises to make her breakfast. In the parlor, he pulls a painting off the wall after she leaves and reveals a peephole um, and peeps on her while she's yeah, in the bathroom. I think we all saw that one coming. <sighs> Disgusting. Oh, also, I was so impressed with my... I was like, I'm a film critic. Number one, did you notice that when she pulls up to the motel, there's like a spotlight shining on a single chair? Like the rocking chair. <gasps> and like he stuffs the birds. Her last name is Crane. Crane. He's going to stuff her. Film genius. He's going to stuff her. Yeah. I just like to stuff things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she calculates. Uh, for some reason, she writes down on a piece of paper. Like, I'm not good at math. Okay. But I can do 40,000 minus 700. Not hard math. What? She had to write that down? So she she writes this down on a piece of scrap paper and then tears it up and flushes it down the toilet. And then she takes a shower. While she's in there, she's attacked by a silhouetted figure that looks like an older woman and is stabbed to death. We hear Norman, um, after the murder, we hear Norman yell from inside the house about his mother being covered in blood. He rushes into the room, discovers the body, and freaks out. For like a minor millisecond. He very calmly mops up the blood, loads the body into plastic, puts all of her belongings, including the money secretly wrapped in the newspaper, into the trunk of her car. And then sinks the car into a nearby swampy marsh and keeps it moving. At the hardware store, Sam is writing an apology letter to Marion. Um, it's very sweet. Did you pause to read it? No, I didn't. Does anyone use phones? No. I mean, phones were available, right? <laughs> um, but then you couldn't, you can't, like, I was thinking about Mad Men, where they're talking about how they, how they would market, um, telegrams, and it's like, you can't frame a phone call. Um. Oh, that's kind of cute. What did it say? It was just like, uh, I don't, who cares if we're poor? I'm sorry, I said, right, let's be poor together, basically. It was very sweet. Um. Oh, they almost got there. They were 15 so miles close. away. Um. But he's interrupted when Marion's sister Lila comes to see what the fuck is up. She hasn't seen her since Friday and is convinced that Sam is in on Marion's scheme. Private investigator and grade-A douchebag Milton Arbogast was hired um, to... And she... Arbogast! Arbogast! (laughs) And he (laughs) follows Lila to Sam's shop. Sam assures them both that he hasn't seen her. Milton doesn't believe either one of them but leaves to go investigate all the hotels in the area. This leads him to Norman, um, who is casually eating candy corn with two K's. Um, at first, he I enjoyed his sweater in this scene. He's got, I'd wear all of his outfits, really. Good sweater, good slacks. Maybe a button-up underneath. Great. Yeah. Um, I, I have to say, he kept his clothes in good shape during the uh, body cleanup, looking sharp as a tack. He, yeah. There was approximately one drop of blood, so. There would be uh, so much blood. Like, <laughs> yeah. buckets. And he's there's. He's like, let me just use one towel. <laughs> and 
and the like mop. Basically, and not even a wet mop. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's also like, okay, so later, spoiler alert: Norman is the killer, right? Um, but I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler. <laughs> it's like a, oh god, like what a sixty-year-old spoiler. Um, he's wearing like it's his like, like dress. Yeah, sixty years old. Wow. He's wearing a dress over his like regular clothes, right? So his he just like wig, so pulls cute. off the dress, and suddenly no blood. Like I'm confused. Yeah. Like no, no it didn't permeate this. Like not a drop sh- permeated thin fabric. Um, I will say shower murder. I guess is like a good idea because you know the water, but quick cleanup. Quick cleanup. Um. So he. When Bilton arrives, he's sort of welcoming at first, but then refuses to look at the picture, lies and said that he says that no one has checked in recently, um, but Milton is suspicious and sees and like makes him show him the guest book, sees that Marion signed in under an alias. Norman grows increasingly more agitated and squirrely. Uh, Milton gets him to admit that she did check in, but he claims she met, left immediately the next morning. Norman invites him along to change beds, but Milton gets distracted by looking up at the main house and sees someone in the window. Norman says it's only his sick... It's only a sick mother. Milton wants to talk to her, but he refuses. Accidentally lets it slip that Marion didn't, quote, fool his mother and then asks him to leave. Milton drives off, but stops nearby at a payphone to call Lila, saying that he thinks he got everything. Take notes, Marion. Oh, wait, you're dead because you didn't use a payphone. For real. Use a fucking phone. Like, you, nobody has a phone. So um, he says that he got everything he needed from Norman but wants to talk to the mother. He's going to head back to the hotel with the intention of finding her and says he'll meet them both in an hour or less. Norman doesn't seem see him pull up and... Uh, Milton illegally looks around the motel office, then breaks into the main house, snoops around some more. While heading up the stairs, uh, the same silhouetted figure of the mother stabs him in the face. He falls back, and then she like jumps on him and kills him. Abagast. Abagast. Back at the hardware store, Lila is growing impatient. Sam wants to just wait around, but um, he agrees to go looking for Milton and tells her to wait in case he shows back up. Norman is standing, staring out into the marsh and hears Sam calling out for Abagast, 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 um, but doesn't go to meet him. Um, Sam goes back to Lila and said no one but the sick old woman was home because he saw her in the window, and she, but she didn't answer the door. Sam and Lila go to see the sheriff at home. He and his wife, um, they alert he and his wife of the situation. The couple seems confused about Norman's mother being present at the house. The sheriff doesn't believe Lila's concerns about the Bates residence and thinks Milton took off with her money and is deceiving them. He doesn't even want to call Norman because it's too late, but eventually agrees. Norman says that he did see Arbogast, but he left um, and they believe him without much questioning. The sheriff says that Norman's mother is dead and buried. Ten years ago, she poisoned her boyfriend and then herself. Sam tells them that he saw the old woman in the window, too, so Milton can't have been lying. Norman goes... Okay, and then back um, at the hotel, Norman goes up to the house and begs his mother to hide in the fruit cellar, but she refuses, so he carries her down. Uh, Sam and Lila meet the sheriff and his wife at church the next morning. Um, He talks... 
or he says he talked to Norman himself and says Sam must have been seeing things and urges them to drop the issue in the lap of the law and file a report. But they're like, nah, bro, we're going to go do this shit ourselves. They're like, there are some red flags here. I don't think I could let it go. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely not. Um, so under the guise of being husband and wife, they uh, check into the motel. Sam insists... Not husband and wife, man and wife. Man and wife. So creepy. <laughs> Um, Sam insists they sign the guest book and get a receipt. Uh, he is firm and very suspicious of Norman. Lila thinks that Norman stole the money to open a better business closer to the highway. Uh, she knows that Milton liked her and wouldn't have abandoned the investigation. The highway is, like, really the star. It's like, if the highway didn't move, none of this would have happened. None of this would have (laughs) happened, yeah. Uh, have you ever watched... Another failure of civil engineering. I, yeah, they did this on purpose because clearly there were no other businesses along this old highway. Like, who else was affected by this issue? Get a sign. Get a billboard. How much is a billboard? Get it. Put it on the highway. What? What if it was $40,000? <gasps> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Have, did you ever watch Bates Motel? I watched a couple of episodes. I hated it but i also liked it if that makes sense okay same because yeah i think i watched maybe the whole first season and then like i was like so bored waiting for something to happen but now i might revisit it because i like want to see what their take is on it because i feel like they were making staging like the motel and the house look really similar and i think in the show the the Sorry, the highway actually moved, like, is in the process of moving. Mm-hmm. Like, they buy the place, then the highway moves, like, in the span of the show. So, um, I don't know. It ran for, like, quite a few seasons, didn't it? I, I like, looked like it up, and it was sort of like five. A, five seasons. Like a limited series kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, I just want to yeah, see. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do one try it again. bonus episode about we it. We could do a bonus. Yeah, Bates Motel. BBB. BBB. um so they sneak into cabin one to look around sam notices that there's no shower curtain and lila finds the scrap of paper that marion had torn up that shows the forty thousand dollar figure so she thinks that norman didn't have any toilet water on it (laughs) come on why is it just next to the toilet doesn't have any blood on it even not a like splatter no blood uh, she wants to talk to the mother and wants Sam to occupy Norman while she does so. Lila breaks into the house um, and sees the mother's bedroom, but there's no real sign of her. But there is a weird body impression on the bed. It's which, extremely weird. Which is like, it's in like an S-curve. And if it I was just always like the on her side, skeleton, right? but if it was just the skeleton, they don't weigh that much. Like, yeah, how is much this is an old body way? impression? But she was, like, up and walking around and fucking her boyfriend when he killed her. So, like, I don't think that she was, like, bedridden at that point. It's strange, isn't it? It's very strange. I need more information. Uh, Sam tries to get Norman to admit he is miserable running th- the hotel, and but he pushes back, saying he had a great childhood and this is his home. Lila finds Norman very Norman's very childlike bedroom. Sam flat out accuses Norman. A mattress, boy. It's, yeah. Oedipal complex. Um, (laughs) Sam is aggressive and uh, flat out accuses him of stealing money from Marion. Norman realizes uh, Lila is up at the house and tries to leave the office. Sam stops him, but Norman hits him in the head with, like, a cookie jar. I don't know what the fuck that thing was, but he knocks him over the head with it. 
um, and then runs up to the house. Uh, He's like, take that. Yeah, I gotta go. Um, Lila sees him coming and goes down to the basement to hide. Or I'm sorry, the fruit cellar. To it's hide. a fruit cellar. <laughs> um, <laughs> she finds the um, mother sitting in a chair, but when she turns the chair around, bum, 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 it's a very decayed corpse um, of Norman's it's so mother. Good. It's it must so have been such good. a great Cracked scare. eyeballs. Oh my God. Yes. It didn't look like, it still doesn't look super like unrealistic to me. I was like, it's kind it's of pretty good. still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she screams and Norman runs into the room with a knife dressed as his it's mother in like a wig and dress. Best. He's so unhinged and scary in that scene. Oh my God. It's yeah. It's so like fun and like sinister. It's good. Um, so Sam runs up behind him. They struggle, but he gets the upper hand at the police station. There are reporters, cops, and citizens combing the place. Um, the sheriff, Lila and Sam sit outside the interrogation room. Um, the sheriff says he couldn't get anything from Norman, but a psychiatrist exits shortly after and says he got the whole story, not from Norman because he doesn't exist anymore. And he only half existed to begin with. His other half has taken over. Ten years ago, he murdered his mother and her lover. His mother was clingy and demanding, and they lived alone for so long. But when she met a man, he felt pushed aside. To erase the crime for himself, he stole her corpse and has been hiding and keeping the body with him and began thinking and speaking for her. He would carry on conversations with himself. He was jealous of his mother, and in his mind, she would be jealous of him too. So when he showed an attraction to any woman, he would kill the woman to appease his jealous mother. He believed his mother committed the crimes and dresses her to keep her memory alive. But finally, this personality of his mother um, has taken over entirely. The cops bring Norman a blanket and um, we hear his internal monologue. Mother's voice says she knows it wasn't her, but her bad son, who she shouldn't, who she should have put away years ago, did it. A fly lands on, I, it's like confusing. I'm not sure how uh, to address. Yeah, so I wrote, "A fly lands on her hand," and the time, he's, the mother, like it's his corporeal form, but she makes like the decision, the decision right. not to swap. Like I actually, I'm not a psychiatrist, obviously, um, but for 1960, I don't know. Like I think the it was like a pretty nuanced take. <laughs> considering the like timeline um, right especially like did and like multiple personalities have had like a lot of exploitation in media and i don't think this was like a perfect take but i feel like it was less of a throwaway take than like some other like i don't united know states i know people terror. really like i know people really like united states of terror i but really I just, liked like, it i liked it a lot. i just like i didn't feel like as my mom was like extremely mentally ill and at a certain point like there was like the talk of a DID diagnosis like going around so I don't know I just feel like I don't know if I would have to watch it again but it also like hits a little too close for to home but like some of the or is that really what it's like would the personalities really be like that like it just seems so like dry yeah yeah, like, and really, like, played for shock value in a way that I was, like, icky, icky, yeah. sticky. John Corbett, love him. Tony Collette, love her. Brie right. Larson, love, like, I loved the cast. It was 
really good, but I feel like this at, <laughs> this at least has like more foundational information like right. it has nuance and it, it paints is, him as like a mentally ill person Ill, and not like, like he's, it is not his fault yeah. yeah but so yeah so i think at this point she has fully taken over so a fly lands yes. on her hand the internal dialogue says i hope they are watching they'll see and they'll know and they'll say also okay before i say this line which is also like there's so many iconic. This whole movie is iconic, I, right? We know every so single piece of it. Um, but so I guess the voiceover, the monologue, and like the mother's voice that we hear several times throughout the film was whose voice is that? Well, Did it he was, really do it? No, it was three different um, female actors that Hitchcock spliced and moved around um, per scene. So it's like sometimes That's like several cool. women in one scene, just so that he could get the right tone and pitch for everything, which is, like, interesting. And I think also adds, like, an underlying sinister, like, uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, because you're like, where? what is the source of this? Yeah. I don't think they're credited, though. Um, I didn't see them. I only know this from my BTS facts uh, BTS articles. facts with, with Reb. <laughs> with me. Um, but uh, so she says, they'll see and they'll know and they'll say why she wouldn't even harm a fly. Norman smiles sinisterly. We fade into Marion's car being dug from the swamp. The and then it just cuts. And I think I loved that cut, like that final scene. It was so weird like, and like unexpected. Yeah, because you thought like, okay, we're going to tie up this story where they find With his, like, her face. body. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's so, this is such a great movie. It's so well executed. It's so well acted. Like Anthony Perkins is truly perfect. But it's just, like, it's so shitty that such a, like, piece of shit human made all of these cultural touchstones. He's just such a piece of shit. It's, I mean, very similar to, like, how I feel about, like, The Shining, which Sorry. is... What? Oh, I, something dropped. I don't know. Oh, if I thought it was Frankenfurt. Um, no. It was my PS4 controller. Um. Yeah, we're, like men treat women horribly and like still get to make really good art that I like to watch. It's like I love The Shining, but Shelley Duvall suffered. It's continuing to suffer for that movie. Like I, I really if I had one wish, I would give Shelley Duvall another crack piece. at it. I think <laughs> I think she's doing all right considering. There's like I think she's good too. I I follow a couple TikToks yeah. where like there's like this one where like this woman is a huge super fan and got the opportunity to meet her and there's like a really sweet video of them meeting. I I, yeah, I, yeah, I've seen that one. And I think it's like, you know, we're all like several people are kind of on the verge or like very sensitive people and like imagine being put through like psychological trauma for months at like a very susceptible young age and then like trying to recover from that like that's devastating and that's what he did to her like I don't know and it's like hard for me I love that movie and it's like so beautiful and so incredibly well done but I'm like you like broke a woman to make this movie is it seriously and I feel like I mean, look at Anthony Perkins in this movie. Like, he was, like, hand-selected for the role. He executed perfectly. He was trusted to do his job, like, well without any kind of, like, external 
encouragement, a.k.a. like abuse. Yeah. It just is like this more systemic thing where it's like, well, women at their core are like emotional and driven by you know emotions so we have to make them like feel things really like sharply so Mm -hmm. that they act accordingly and i get the reaction that i want instead of just saying trusting like this is what i want professionals (laughs) Yeah. yeah and like um the way that hitchcock treated um fuck why can't i think of her name it was grace kelly right no it was um to be hendrick didn't Yes, but yeah. wasn't there some shit around Rear Window, too, that we were talking yeah, about? Yeah, that she was like, I actually don't ever want to do this again. Because she, he was like, I think it was honestly her co-stars that were being creepy to her, right? Jimmy Stewart was kind of a dick, I heard. Yeah, uh, but Tippi Hedren, who starred in The Birds, never wanted to, he like basically had a hold on her to like forced her to do this movie and like she was... Like the live bird scenes, she didn't want to do, and she like Why he agreed. Would you? He agreed that that wasn't going to happen, and then all of a sudden the day of shooting happened, and it was live, and she was traumatized, of course, and like she was like never fully recovered from that. Like, and yeah. again, he broke a woman to make a movie. Like that's not, it's not okay. And like I, yeah, it's just like it's it's because there's some like masochistic misogynistic part of them that really wants to do that like they know they can get the product and the outcome that they want without doing that but it's just like a thinly veiled excuse to like abuse women and like utilize their your power and balance against people with less inherent privilege than you so it's just gross like stanley kubrick go jump off a cliff you motherfucker hitchcock if you weren't already Dead, I'd punch you in the gut, Houdini style. Yeah. Um, All right, should we get the Gein talk out of the way? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so Robert every, I mean, Bloch, who yeah. wrote this book, he this book was published two years after the Gein news broke. He claims that he wrote it while before he knew of this, and it was just a coincidental what? connection. It's all right. But he grew, he lived at the time like 35 miles away from where Ed Gein committed his crimes. And he was like, oh, wow, what a coincidence that I wrote this this, like very similar narrative of like an enmeshed son and a fanatically religious mother living alone in a remote area. Like, wow. So he's lying. He definitely like pulled from the Gein case, even though he claims he did not. But I feel like. Like I said, like the cultural hold that Ed Gein still has is just like truly chilling. So, <laughs> yes, um, obviously Norman is a stand in for Ed and Norma is a stand in for Augusta. Very uh, fanatically religious, living alone with their children, um, their adult sons in an extremely like remote situation where they kind of like control the intake of information and like the day to day. And they're like sexual uh, and personal lives. Yes. And like any other woman, you know, that wants would could possibly approach them as like a slut and like they have to be like chased because the only person they can ever be with is their mother. It's really fucked up. It's nasty. Mothers and sons. I don't understand. It's I, just so gross. Mothers and sons are weird. I like 
am a true crime, like, recovering addict. And I know... Same. There were a couple, like, intense years. (laughs) God. Yeah. And I know a lot about Ed Gein. And, like, even, like, because he wasn't credited with more than one murder, right? Like, all the other murders surrounding him were... Like alleged, yeah, but he robbed a lot of graves, and that's what that's what Norman did. He robbed his mommy's grave, um, Mm -hmm. and then taxidermied her and like played around with her body, which is what Ed Gein also did. He He, was like obsessed. He dressed up like her because dressed up like a woman. His mom, Ed Gein, made a lady suit so that he could be his mom. It's just like a more kind of like widely palatable version of Ed Gein's story that this man like immediately stole and immediately profited off of. So which like, again the is people like that profiting off were, of like, women's murders. Exactly. Like the people, the victims, the people that were in the orbit of Ed Gein see suddenly like the story of their literal <laughs> like tormentor on screen by one of the most like famous directors of the era it's just like right. fun- funky funkadelic and not a fun way Fucked up. um and i think like it's just really crazy like we can separate the fact that ed gein's unusual like crimes have influenced some of the like the staples of our genre from the fact that he was like a severely mentally ill person that went with like rampant untreated personality disorders Mm -hmm. that led to him doing things and like it's sort of like he you can sort of feel like he didn't necessarily want to hurt people like he obviously murdered a woman but he was not driven by like you know when you think about ted bundy like ted bundy was in his right mind at like every second he was doing these things ed gein is just like such a tragic situation because he just like needed a therapist and some antipsychotics. I think, yeah, (laughs) he was, like, not even, like, mentally ill in the way of, like, being able to function at even some level of society. I think he was severely mentally ill. He could not go out. And had at no point been a functioning member of society. Like, he... Not just because of, like... And it's not just because of the evil mother. It's not just because he had an abusive mother. That is a part of it. But it's also just like societal conditioning that like teaches men that they have to act a certain way and like function a certain way in society and that any vulnerability is a negative like quality. And I feel like when you hear the narrative of Norman and Norma Bates, when you hear the narrative of Ed Gein and his mother and in like you know, Ed Kemper, like, all of these other serial killers that have reached this, like, God status in Mm. the true crime community. Like, it's just about laying blame at the foot of, like, a mother who was also a victim of the circumstances of her time and basically absolving these, like, insane, disgusting men of their crimes because it was their mommy's fault. Like, it's just, like, a very unsettling trend. Yeah. (laughs) And even the, at the end of the movie, the... Um, I'm not. I think he's a psychiatrist um, who comes in and tells like what he gained from Norma at the end. Um, he says that she was uh, demanding and clingy, and that's why Norman did the things that he did. Like not because he was like had unchecked mental illness, and not because of right. 
his own and like norma is still the villain even yeah. though she's doesn't she's dead she she's was murdered by her son murdered. Yeah. 10 years dead not even like she was she wasn't in this movie at all you know like i i don't know it's uh you it's always mommies mommies ruin their sons um and i think sorry this this champagne is making me really burpy you know what? Burp like you nine deserve times. to be decadent. <clears throat> My bad. I don't even remember what I was gonna say. Um, I think that like blaming because these crimes are sexual, right? They say it too. Is like um, Norman kills women that he's attracted to, and he does like have his like weird sort of um, fidgety flirtation with Marion, who's like very is turned into a sect object by every man she encounters, including like immediately. Sam. Um, like, that it's almost her fault for being sexy, for walking around being hot. How dare she? And that, like, it's his mommy's fault that he, like, can't fuck her properly. Like, she is the one who, like, turned him into this, like, weird, um, like, creepy virgin. I don't know. Like, it's... He's, he can't be responsible for his own sexual crimes. In any situation assaults. after yeah. his mother is 10 years dead. 10 yeah. years. She's been fucking dead. Like, and she. He has equity. He owns, like, a pretty fancy house. And, like, he owns land. House. Like, you could not be in this situation. But you're in this, like, you're in this situation. And it's not, like, bootstraps. It's, like. You have access to resources, but still we are supposed to blame your mother that's been dead for 10 years by your hand. And it's almost like uh, because she tried to move on with another man, like that she was, they also kind of slut shame her. Like she was being a slutty Like her husband a died man. a bajillion years ago and she met one new guy. And she was happily moving on. Like maybe she didn't get her son this sort of mental health resources that he needed but like it's not her fault and he fucking murdered her so I don't know let's quit blaming mom okay Seriously. I don't know should we mention Marion I'm talking, talking about I love a slut I love a thief I love a slut she's stealing from I love rich a men thief too um she's fun I think like yeah, I love her little smile to herself. I mean, watching in the car. her like escapade was absolutely hilarious. Like, I just enjoyed every second of her <laughs> trying to pull off like a heist. major robbery, Big like heist. grand larceny or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, she's so bad at it. Like, all she zero, wants zero thought put into it. She did it without thinking for five seconds. I like, she, all she really wanted was like. She's, like, a very sympathetic character. I think, like, I like the fact that, like, she is a slut. And I think, like, she gets her punishment for that. She has to die, of course, because a slut who's having premarital sex and has a vagina can't live, right? Violent death, even though <coughs> it's not death. explicitly, like, shown on screen. But also, I think, like, you know, you see her get, like, dehumanized you see her because of how her, like, face is squished on the ground like on the bathroom floor she's like distorted she also looked very much alive in that moment her vacant <laughs> like eyes blinked. were like slightly blinking <laughs> yeah. yeah um 
But I think, like, coming to it with modern eyes, like, she is a sympathetic character who's, like, economically unstable, has a partner She's been that... working for this real estate fucker for 10 years, like... Can't even get fucking air conditioning. Is... Can't get fucking air conditioning. She's reliant on her, um, obvi- I think, like, her sister, and she and her sister share expenses, and mm-hmm. it's, like, the coding was, like, that her sister is, well is more financially stable, Yeah. Um, oh, also, fun fact. So you know how the other secretary in the office says she's taking a tranquilizer? Quaaludes? I think that it's Valium, because Valium was on the market, came out on the market just around the same time, and was marketed, like, specifically towards women, because, mm-hmm. like, they were getting, like, th- fluttery and upset, like, you know, like, they need to be, like, People don't treat me well, yeah. Exactly. Um, and I learned this because of the book Empire of Pain by Patrick Radden Keefe, which is about the Sackler dynasty. So not only did the Sackler family um, contribute to like the greatest like, you know, health crisis of our age, like the opioid epi- epidemic, Arthur Sackler also marketed Valium when it first came out. And he basically marketed it as like, you need to give this to your wife because she's got Hysterical. her period. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's crazy. I was thinking Quaaludes when she said that. I'm like, she's got the ludes. Um, that was only top of mind for me because I read that book kind of recently mm-hmm. and read that, like, literally Valium was, like, coming out around this time, like, hitting the market pretty hard because, as we know, the Sacklers are, like, incredibly effective at drug marketing. <laughs> so I it was, like, like, everywhere. It was, like, ubiquitous. I just don't, like, I think... Our generation, especially, like, any generation past X is, like, our drug use has gone way down. Like, I think, like, people who have, like, opioid addictions are a problem created not by us but by other people. And that's, like, a a disease that's, like... No one is helping anyone out. I mean, of it was the created by the Sackler family, pretty much. Like uh, they single-handedly got like a generation addicted to opiates. But our casual drug use has gone down, like like way down. I think, yeah. Our like our boomers and and the greatest generation were just like popping, like basically like opioid level drugs to get through the just like fucking all day. day diet pills were, like yeah, like in the 80s like, wild the pipeline of like hippie to fascist capitalist oh, yeah. is so interesting too like what is going on with these people they were drinking scotch all day they were <laughs> yeah. taking quaaludes all day they were doing coke all like all the dr- all the recreational drugs all the time and then, like, decimate the economy. And then, you know, our generation are the dirtbags because, like, we right, can't make bro- enough money to do anything. Because, because, because resor- half of us. The resources were- are decimated. Right. And, like, the people. I heard who- somewhere that, like, 65% of boomers are still in the workplace. Can you guys fucking go away get so away we can have your, me. like, get so we can have your C suite jobs and, like, move forward with our lives and do all the things you're yelling at us for not doing, but we can't do because you guys won't leave like these high level positions so that other people can move into them. I also was like watching this um, Gen Xers TikTok who was like, we put a lot of, you know, everybody gives shit to 
uh, millennials and Gen Zers, but I was the last generation to get like my full um, healthcare covered by my employer. My employer willing to pay some of my very small student loan debt, like a f- yeah. like a full salary with benefits immediately after graduating college like that's they were the last ones and they're not that much older than us like but we were like it was just a totally different experience yeah you were in middle to like elementary to middle school when like the greatest like 9-11 9-11 happened and then dude I was the talking to Adam about our... this and he was like you did you watch it live on tv I was like literally I was in seventh grade they turned it on and like they you stayed in the classroom you were in so mm-hmm. like I was in Mrs. Cohen's language arts class we stayed we like stayed in place put the tv on and just like watch 3,000 people die on live television yeah we had those like, as children these, yeah. i was in elementary school still and the, we the had tv like mounted way on up the up. corner of the classroom yeah. and they we mm-hmm. were like in um because we didn't have quite as many like school shooter drills that i'm sure kids have to do now but um we had like certain drills that we did so like all of the um, like two, cause we had classrooms that had one adjoining door. So the two classrooms mm-hmm. that, um, I think it was in fourth grade, um, the two adjoining doors that came, um, they would come together and we turned all the lights off, put the paper in over the door, like window. And we all just yeah. sat on the floor and yeah, watched people fall out of skyscrapers for like, an entire people day. throw themselves out of skyscrapers. Yeah. Yeah. And the teachers were like had no idea everyone was crying like it was like yeah and then there was like those weird i remember those like weird um they would play like the national anthem like in the middle of all of this coverage yeah. like just like the national anthem and like oh, man like um stock images of like american flags waving like that's on the so news weird. It that's like, just, like a lot so of memory weird. yeah yeah um, at some point they herded us all into the cafeteria and then people started getting picked up because we – I grew up very close to New York, like an hour and change. And a lot of people had parents that commuted to New York. So people were like directly affected like – and it was super scary. And so at some point like it was very clear who had like wealthy parents that could like <laughs> leave their jobs and pick them right. up. And then the rest of us, like the poor people, like the – kids with like severely mentally ill parents or like you know the kind of like the kids that lived in the trailer park like we're all just sitting there like (laughs) whoop yeah (laughs) I took the bus home everybody else got picked up I took the bus home well because I (laughs) lived around the corner from my elementary school so I when I left for school I would walk with my neighbor my next door neighbor who was like a year or two younger than me and her mom was outside and she was like, did you see like a helicopter? She said something about like a helicopter falling out of the sky. And I was like, or at least that's how I remember. And I was like, no, whatever, no, like, whatever, whatever Shelly. Yeah. And I kept it, it was like, kept, kept it moving. And then we went to class and I was like, oh shit. And I think they let us go home like, or, you know, like bust kids home midday, but I just walked home because it was like a two minute walk. But I gotta go. <laughs> I'm leaving now. Um... And I also, like, I wonder, because, like, yeah, I do, like, some teaching stuff, and I, like, do not let the kids out of my sight until I, like, see a parent. Or they're like, oh, my mom's on the phone. She's here. But, like, I would just, like, leave. 
No one knew where I was going. That like I just left. Now that kid kids have like a list of people who are allowed to pick them up. Absolutely. And not. like they No, I just like left. And random people pick me up from like my dad's church. And yeah. sometimes I would just like walk home <laughs> and it was like two miles. <laughs> no one knew where I was. <laughs> right. It was like, okay, bye. Gotta go. I bye, have to leave go. now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it's like what were we even talking about? But we, like, just came up in a really weird time. And so that happened, and then the recession, and then another recession, and now another recession, and a I pandemic. I don't even know what's going on anymore. And, <laughs> like, five wars, um, like, genocide, mass incarceration. Yeah, I don't know. What's happening? Yeah. I was talking to Where a lady at the nail salon who has lived in Boston, like, for a bajillion years, and she was like, yeah, I remember before there were private prisons, like in my lifetime, in my adult lifetime, as a human adult, there was a time before there were privatized, like for-profit prisons. Like, is that such a mindfuck? Like, it happened within the span of like 20 years, you know, this like just absolute cash cow like this evil fascist capitalist institution that now it seems like it never we never lived without it right it is not that That it'll never go (laughs) away yeah it could i was also watching um so because i watched psycho and i was like i love this why haven't i seen other like class so there's some horror movies that i've never seen even though i love horror movies because i like bad ones same here i just missed some staples you know yeah i was watching prom night with janet lee's daughter jamie lee curtis do you know her have, i have, have heard ever, of her oh. yes um it was actually really good and i Did think you, you see should cover she, it um she for like the premiere of whatever shitty halloween movie just came out <sighs> she dressed up like she like dre- dressed up like marion crane and um in psycho for the premiere Aww. it was extremely cute yeah. cute um i watched it and i was thinking like it came out in 1980, and I was like, this is before Reagan. Like, just look at all this, the funding that the school got. Like, just, because like, they the principal pumping money into the war on lived drugs. in the community. Like, people were, I was just, like, thinking about, like, because they show them, like, going to, um, like, Jamie Lee Curtis's character is, like, on the tennis team and, like, how much funding they have for, like, the prom. And they have this whole, like, all the teachers are chaperones yeah. and they have, like, a whole dance routine. Like, teachers don't even have the time to, like, take a lunch, let alone, like, chaperone yeah. a dance yeah. and get, like, all these elaborate decorations going. Like, They're, like, crying in the closet waiting for the day to be over. Yeah. And they'll quit in the next six months because of burnout. <laughs> I was like, fucking um, Reagan. Fun fact, not really a fact, but I always get <laughs> tra- Train of Terror and Prom Night confused because they're, like, a very similar conceit, but, like, and they're both Jamie Lee Curtis movies, but mm-hmm. Train of Terror is, like, they they take, like, a... A train? I don't know. Like a train. It's like a fun train, though. <laughs> it's like a party train. Party train. Uh, All right. I have to eat dinner. We have to it's leave. the middle but, of the night. <laughs> um, I was just going to say that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is still doing it. She's in one of the greatest movies I've seen in the last, like, 10 years. Everything Everywhere All at Once was, like... I haven't seen it yet. I'm too God, afraid it'll make me feel things. It'll make you feel... For every emotion you've ever had i like i'm not up for that i well this is what i said he's he'll never listen to this but he'll get mad if i if he knows i told everybody but um 
Caesar cried, and he never cries. I've never seen him cry in a movie. I before. can't watch a movie that made Caesar cry. I it will, will not it emotionally is recover. So good. No, like in like a good way and a bad way. Like when you talk about like the millennial experience, I think it has a lot to say about it. Yes. Um, anyway. Another fun fact about Jamie Lee Curtis: she had a brief uh, arc on this season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because she came on wow. to promote her charity, which is something about oh, it's called My Hand and Yours. It's about like children's hospitals or something. Hands across America. But there was a really like funny sequence where Dorit, the one of the Real Housewives, was like fangirling over Jamie Lee. So everything she was like showing them like swag basically like you can buy this or like you can make a gift of this amount and you'll get this like wine Wait. cooler or whatever have you told me this before maybe okay but so Dorit is like obsessed with Jamie Lee Curtis so she's just saying like everything is so chic and Dorit has like this fake British accent so finally <laughs> Jamie Lee pulls out like this wind chime and Dorit is like the wind chime the, the chicest course. wind chime I've ever seen <laughs> We talked about wind chimes right. when we did uh, that movie with the boat, that really terrible movie. Movie with the boat. Remember the boat, and she's like the, ha- the second the house, <laughs> the second house, and the and the oh, like shit with um Re- Rebecca something Hall. Wait, now it's gonna bother. Is me. it Rebecca? Hall? I think Rebecca Hall. Yeah. yeah. Didn't someone want us to her do that? House, one of your friends? Our, Maybe yeah, Maya my, wanted us to do that. My old house. This old house. No, I don't know. It is not called this old house. But it I don't, we do this podcast. The Night House. Remember. The Night House. I don't remember what anything is called. I don't remember who anybody is, what they're in. I mean, that um, movie was really bad. It was really bad. I, I forgot about it immediately. But um, Lila's boring. That's her only character trait was she's so Sorry, Lila. devastatingly boring. So. She's just a serious older sister. I get it. So is Sam. Sam is hot, but boring. So What a jawline. This but was, yeah, nothing behind those eyes. This was Norman's movie all the way. Anthony Perkins fucking killed it. May he rest in fucking peace, dude. Yes. This is an Anthony Perkins stand. Same with uh, Janet Lee. I think she did a really good job. This is a, we're so perk too. jerks. Welcome to. Yes, perk hashtag perk jerks. Um, okay. Uh, what do you want to fuck this week? Um, fuck Alfred Hitchcock. Ugh. Quick. Yeah. I wish you didn't make good like, movies. I know they are really good. Fuck like toxic men in Male directors. You, Ugh. Disgusting. And fuck Anthony Perkins in a nice way. In a nice Our sweet baby. He's so cute. Um, <laughs> Remember, you can't shit upwards. Stay ugly. And get fucked. Get we fucked. love you guys. Okay, bye.